From Upstate Medical University, I'm Amber Smith. This is HealthLink on Air. Guglielmo Marconi was a leading figure in the development of wireless telegraphy during the age of invention from the late 19th to the early 20th century. He died in 1937 at the age of 63, 10 years after he sustained a heart attack. Here to review the life and death of Marconi is Professor Emeritus of Medicine and Cardiology, Dr. Harold Smullyan. Thank you for returning to HealthLink on Air. Thanks for having me. Now, I recall that you've done similar papers on the deaths of President Warren G. Harding and Wizard of Oz author L. Frank Baum. That's correct. And so today you're here to tell us about Marconi. So how did you get involved in Marconi and looking into his death? It's a rather a long story. My previous collaborator on the two previous papers was Dr. Bob Pinels, who's a former colleague of mine. He was... um, head of the Division of Rheumatology in the Department of Medicine for many years and then moved on to the medical school in New Jersey. His granddaughter, who's also an author on our paper, uh, Lisa Pinels, is a a candidate for a PhD degree in electrical engineering at Tufts. And she was studying the electrical engineering side of Marconi's invention and recommended that we look into Marconi as a possible source uh, for this paper. Uh, to her grandfather, who got in touch with me so to collaborate neat. again. Neat. So tell me, uh, who was Marconi? Well, Marconi was a uh, very interesting character. He was uh, uh, born of a, uh, an Italian and, and uh, Anglo-Irish woman, both of whom were very wealthy. And uh, he was spent the first eight years or so of his life in England. And following that, he returned to what then became his native country in Italy. And... Uh, his, uh, his mother had uh, uh, many connections because her wealth arose from her family c- uh, connection with Jameson Corporation that made, uh, I think, Scotch whiskey. Still does, as a matter of fact. Huh, okay. And he was a scientist, or did well, he... Well, he, he wasn't, actually. That was the interesting part of him. He had very little formal education in physics, but he was a, a, a bright and, and entrepreneurial person who improved on other people's inventions and uh, led to the development of uh, wireless telegraphy. Okay. Now, um, somewhere in your paper, maybe, it mentions that he almost sailed on the Titanic? He did. He, he, his uh, invention for uh, radio telegraphy uh, was then, at that time, part of uh, almost every ship's complement who crossed the Atlantic Ocean. And he was offered a free passage on the Titanic but decided to, um, to cross the Atlantic three days earlier on the Lusitania because he liked the stenographer on the Lusitania better. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so he escaped uh, that. But his invention uh, led to the rescue of a number of people because they used the radio to call in other nearby ships uh, to uh, save people who were in the oh, water. on the Titanic. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. So uh, when did he start having symptoms, and what were his symptoms? When did he, and did he know that he had heart disease? I, I doubt that he was sure of that, but his symptoms in retrospect are almost surely uh, those of uh, angina pectoris, which is now well established to be a part of coronary heart disease, but at that time it wasn't as certain as it is now that so they were related. angina pectoris is chest pain? It's a form of chest pain that's due to okay. heart disease. Okay, all right. So... Um, that's what he seems to have exhibited? He had that for uh, uh, as, as long as 10 years. His first attack was uh, in 1927, uh, about 10 years before he died. And he had intermittent episodes of uh, 
of chest pain from heart disease uh, between those two dates. Now, how do you go about your research? Are his medical records out there for people to access? or? Well, one of the problems was that there weren't many record, uh, records available. Mm-hmm. A second major problem even before that was that we had to find somebody who could read those records in Italian. In Italian. Oh, okay. And Dr. Villarreal, who's a colleague in the a division of cardiology here at the medical center uh, was able to read Italian and make those translations, and so he he did the work uh, on the Italian literature. I should add that our library and the library at Lemoyne College were absolutely wonderful in obtaining very rare books and documents that we couldn't have obtained to look at otherwise. Wow. Okay. So it was a lot of pouring over old documentation. Yeah, it took quite a bit of time to review all this. It sounds like it was interesting to you, though. It was. Uh, we also try to put his medical care in context for the kind of medical care that was available in Italy um, and at that time and how it compared with both American and British medical care of the same disease. Was he, as near as you can tell, was he debilitated by these episodes or the, the symptoms that he had? Did it impact his life? Oh, very much so, uh, especially toward the end okay. uh, in the last few years. Uh, it it uh, it kept him from attending meetings and going abroad as often as he would have liked. How was he treated? Well, the uh, the treatment wasn't very good for anyone uh, on those days. He received nitroglycerin for his chest pain, which was a well accepted form of treatment. And that's still used today, right? Oh, very much so. Yes, yes. Okay. And he received morphine for pain, oxygen for when he was in heart failure. One of the things he didn't receive. Uh, for what seemed to be a clear picture of heart failure was digitalis, which was available in those days, but which, he, but which he didn't receive. Any ideas about why he didn't receive that? Well, I think the medical records were sketchy at that time. Uh, it's not clear whether uh, the uh, Italian medicine didn't follow some of the things that were done in America and, and in England at that time, or whether the Italian government didn't want the details of his uh, illness very well known or made public because uh, he was such a prominent figure. Was uh, privacy a concern back then? Like it is, you hear about you know, patient privacy today. Was it as big a deal back then? Or I, I really don't know about that, but I suspect that the, uh, um, the government of Benito Mussolini did not want much information uh, released about him. They, by the way, had known one another his physician was the same as the physician who attended Mussolini. Interesting. All right. Well, I saw um, in your paper that, I mean, he was also prescribed absolute rest at different periods. Um, is that something that would be prescribed today? Well, usually rest is an important prescription a after a heart attack even today, but not as long periods of rest as, uh, as it was prescribed at that time. This is Upstate's HealthLink on Air. I'm your host, Amber Smith, talking with Dr. Harold Smolian, Professor Emeritus of Medicine and Cardiology at Upstate, about the paper he's written on Guglielmo Marconi uh, and his life and death. Um, now, he was treated back then in the 1930s, and some of what was done would still be done today. Are there other things that he would be, if, if, if he presented today, what would be done to take care of him? Well, first of all, he would have been hospitalized, and he was not hospitalized in Italy at that time. I think that hospitalization was not a popular form of treatment for the upper class. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
in, in those days. Uh, and uh, so that's probably not too surprising. But a couple of things that um, were not recorded in his medical care was an electrocardiogram, which had been invented and was available by that time. Those were available, they but... Were, huh. They were. And the same uh, is true of a chest X-ray, which he never had, uh, or at least was never recorded. Uh, so he may have had these things, but were not available. Uh, were not, the results are not available to us. And that would have told them more about what was happening. It would have helped to confirm the diagnosis of, uh, of a heart attack that he had, yes. And it would have um, demonstrated if his heart was enlarged by x-ray. So today, would he maybe be in a cath lab? Or would he have been sent to a cath lab? If oh, he might very well have been uh, catheterized today and had the uh, narrowings of his coronary arteries or the occlusions of his coronary arteries uh, opened, uh, which is now done almost routinely today. And extends the life of people. Certainly, yes. a lot of it. Now, your paper says he did um, did little to change his habits and his fast-paced lifestyle. Did that resonate with you with any patients that you had during your time? Um, well, did I you... think patients differ on how they react to their illness, but uh, he certainly was not one uh, to accept the fact that he was... Uh, rested by this illness or put to rest by this illness. He tried to keep going. He had many contacts and, and many business associations, kept trying to expand the, the network uh, that he had established. So he, didn't, he wasn't one to uh, take to his bed. Not too different from people today, some people today. Yeah. So how do you go about or have you started looking into um, another uh, historical figure that you would look into next or...? Well, Dr. Pinels and I are, are still searching around for another uh, possible topic. As a matter of fact, he's coming to Syracuse to visit. Uh, he, he lives in Boston now, and he's coming to Syracuse to visit next month. And I suppose we'll go over a list of possibilities and see what we can come up with. What sort of feedback do you get from your peers? That, that most physicians are, are modestly interested in their background. But in order to read something about it, you have to go to a history journal, which is a scholarly um, a piece that you have to go and find. I think, now that I'm writing about it, that it ought to be a, a routine portion of regular medical journals, perhaps short pieces here and there, that doctors can read for their own entertainment or interest while they're pursuing their usual goals of keeping up to date. Um, the American Journal of, Medi of Medical Science is one of the few that will take an article like this. And uh, they are now, they've just had a new change in editor. And Dan Villarreal, who's the, my co-editor on this, and the new editor at the American Journal of Medical Sciences are, are trying to institute a regular section in that journal with brief historical articles that might be of interest of general internists. Um, so this, we're hoping that this will be one of the first of, of a set, series. Set the standard and go for... Uh, yeah, very few other... Standard medical journals will put anything in, take up print space for something like this. Huh. Well, interesting. My guest has been Upstate Professor Emeritus of Medicine and Cardiology, Dr. Harold Smolian. I'm Amber Smith for Upstate's podcast and talk show, HealthLink on Air.